Thank you, Brother Andy. Good evening, church. So good to be with you again. And uh, boy, it's been a blessed day in the house of the Lord, hasn't it? I want to say the music today has just been wonderful. We, uh, Evelyn and I, after hearing the choir this morning, I said, well, I'm just going to come over and listen to choir practice this afternoon. And so we came in for that and enjoyed it, and it was fantastic. I want to tell you that it's not like this everywhere. You folks know that have traveled. You're a blessed church, aren't you? And then how about the youth choir tonight? Wasn't that special? I want to tell you, church, to me, there's almost nothing on earth like hearing teenagers sing. And, um, you know, they sing the worldly songs out there, but to hear them sing for the Lord is just special. And, uh, you know, we've got room in the camper if y'all want to pile on in there and travel with us. And they'll be a little crowded, but I just want to say what a blessing that was to hear you folks uh, sing about the Word of God and speaking to us. And praise the Lord for that. I want to tell you, we love this church. We really do. Our kids, we pulled up on the property, and our kids are already talking about Vacation Bible School. You know, they, they can't wait for that. They're, uh, I guess, VBS pros in some ways. They do it three or four times a summer, you know, and uh, we're already excited about next summer and the, uh, the Kingdom Chronicles, the Knights theme. There's going to be a lot of fun there, I'm sure, and uh, I love your, your, your pastor. I really do. Uh, Brother Andy, Andy and I were talking about it's so rare now, church, to find a man of God that's been in the same place uh, for decades, and uh, I think the average pastor stays four or five years, you know, and moves on. And you're blessed here, aren't you? I went back, I listened to Wednesday night's uh, message from pastor as we were traveling the other day about Moses. And I want to tell you, I was helped, greatly helped. And uh, you are blessed people. You do not lack for good preaching or teaching around here. And I uh, want to thank pastor for letting me be here today. It's always an honor, always a privilege to stand in this pulpit. I'm so thankful for he and his family and uh, for all the Lord's doing here. It's a wonderful place, isn't it? And you can sense the Lord's moving. And uh, the thing I love about this church, and I mean this church, is that you're not just satisfied. You're, you want more. And uh, you're going after souls. And a church this size, you could be content, couldn't you? You could last a long time, this many people, but yet you're still trying to seek uh, to win the lost. And I love that. I love on Wednesday nights hearing the prayer requests because so many of them are for lost people. Amen? And so it's always a joy uh, for us to be here. had a gentleman tell me just a few moments ago, hey, I have your prayer card and we pray for you. Boy, what a blessing. And we're so thankful for that. And we love you folks. And if we could ever do anything for you, boy, we sure would do it. Well, Psalm chapter 63. What a glorious psalm, isn't it? I think my favorite psalm in the Bible is Psalm 62. I had sat down several weeks back and I was looking to, to study for a message. And I thought, Psalm 62, this is my favorite. This is a great psalm. And I read through it and the Lord didn't give me uh, the, the, uh, the prompting that I was expecting, you know, to dive in and outline and find a message. So I just kept reading. And then I found Psalm 62. And the Lord began to minister to my heart. You know, have you ever experienced, church, a time in your life in which you were so thirsty or so hungry that nothing else mattered? I don't know that I've ever exactly been there. I know most of you teen boys are thinking this is every morning when I wake up, you know, that uh, nothing else matters. Just give me a, some Fruit Loops or give me a toaster strudel, a Pop Tart. I've got to survive the next few hours. I, I don't know that I've ever been so thirsty or so hungry to be in that position. I, I've been around people. Uh, who are not as well off who have been there. But I'll tell you of a man who experienced a hunger that I can't even imagine. His name was Louis Zamperini. I don't know if you ever studied his life. It's really an amazing testimony to the Lord. He grew up in the early 1900s in California, and was a runner. He loved to run. In fact, he set 
uh, the uh, record for the fastest mile in high school. He ran a mile in 4 minutes and 21.2 seconds. I don't care what's chasing me. There's no way that I could do it that way. And uh, that record stood for a long time. He went into college. He set the record again. Uh, For a collegiate athlete, he ran a mile in four minutes and eight seconds. In fact, he was such a good runner that he he ran in the 1936 Olympics as just a teenager. By the time four years had passed, he was to run in the Olympics again, but World War II had broken out. And so instead of running in the Olympics, he joined uh, the military, uh, became a bombardier, and as he was flying a particular mission, his plane experienced mechanical failure and they crashed into the Pacific Ocean. It was just he and two other of the men that were on board that survived, and they were, happened to grab a, a raft that they had on board of the plane in case such emergency happened, and they, they got the air in it and were able to start floating on the ocean. They would spend the next, watch this church, 47 days floating on the ocean without food or water. In fact, the only way they had to eat, they would catch the birds as they would land on the raft and eat them. And they would catch the rainwater as it came. One of the men died. He didn't manage the trip. In those 47 days, their boat, their little raft, drifted some 2,000 miles from where it crashed into the ocean until finally, unfortunately, they were captured by the Japanese and put into a POW camp. And uh, the, the story goes on from there. But I think, can you imagine what hunger he must have experienced? Can you imagine the thirst of knowing that there's water all around you, but you can't drink it, and it won't quench your thirst? You know, church, when you're desperately thirsty, your sole focus becomes finding a drink. And everything else kind of fades into the background. It's amazing that things that were so important before kind of slip our mind. Our attention and our heart's focus becomes, I must quench this thirst, right? I must feel this hunger in my life. Boy, isn't it true that in life people hunger and thirst for a lot of different things, don't they? People hunger and thirst for pleasure and popularity and money and and different passions and powers and positions, right? And and people are desperate. They live their lives to feel uh, this hunger that, by the way, can never be filled, can it? It's never satisfied. A sad reality is often that as believers, sometimes we begin having hungers and thirst just like the world does. In our psalm before us, of course, David is the author, and he's writing about hungering and thirsting for the Lord. I want us to think just a minute about David. David's life didn't always reflect these words, did it? In fact, there was a time in David's life where he got his focus off of the Lord, and he began hungering and thirsting after the lusts of the world. When he's writing this psalm, David has already fallen. He's already committed adultery, arranged murder. He's already paid for that. But I think in Psalm chapter 51 is is kind of the beginning of David getting his hunger and his thirst realigned, right? Against thee and thee only have I sinned. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me, right? David is realizing, God, I've messed up. I've I've gone uh, after the way of the world, and I, I need to be fixed. But the Bible also calls David a man after God's own heart. Am I right about that? Boy, what a title. Would that be something for the Lord to say about you tonight? Boy, he, she was a, was a woman, a man after God's own heart. And it's interesting to study why. Why did God give David this title? I don't know that we get a, a, a just completely thorough answer, but there's speculation. Some say, well, it's because of the way David dealt so harshly with his sin. It, it tore him up and he turned from it and it drove him crazy. He turned back to the Lord. I, I have to think that David was a man after God's own heart 
in a lot of ways because of his relationship with his God. Well, it wasn't perfect, was it? But David loved the Lord. In fact, let me give you some other scriptures tonight. If you're taking notes, maybe just jot these references down. Psalm 42, verses 1 and 2. As the heart panteth after the water brook, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. Boy, what a description of someone who desires the Lord, you know? Psalm 84 and verse 2, My soul longeth, yea, even fainteth for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh crieth out for the living God. And I guess my question this, this evening for us is, how about us? Church, can I, can I be honest? Isn't it so easy in the Christian life to just get in a routine? You know? My goodness, this is a Sunday evening crowd. You folks come to church a lot around here, don't you? And it's just natural for you. And perhaps you have a relationship with the Lord where you're in His Word and you're praying. But sometimes in my life I can get so in a routine that I'm not, I'm not hungry and thirsting the way that I should. I'm just going about a ritual. And I want us to look tonight at three characteristics from this psalm of those that hunger and thirst after the Lord. And my prayer is that we'd find them to be true in ourselves. Notice, first of all, with me, those that hunger and thirst after God, they seek the Lord. Do you see that? Notice again, verse number one. O God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is to see thy power and thy glory so as I have seen thee in the sanctuary. The word seek here means to search for, to be on the lookout for. You know, as a general rule, we wanna, when, when we're looking for something, we're searching for something, we want to find it, don't we? Uh, I'm a big hunter, and earlier this year I shot a deer, and I couldn't find it. And so I called my pastor, he's my uncle, I, I joke that one of my biggest ministries for my pastor is helping him drag his deer out, you know, and, and uh, he, he's a big hunter and, and he helped me to get in the, in the sport, and, and so I called him and we're seeking this deer, and I just want to tell you, we were not, you know, following the blood trail and walking around the woods so that we would never find it, no, we wanted to find the deer. What David is saying, God, I'm seeking you because I want to find you, and by the way, church, before we go anywhere, aren't you thankful our God can be found? <laughs> Aren't you thankful tonight we don't have a God that's so distant that he says, you know what, you just try as hard as you can, but you'll never reach me. You just do everything you can to appease me, and maybe it will be enough. No, God says if you'll seek me, you'll find me, if you'll search for me with all your heart. Notice just some practical thoughts about this. First of all, in seeking the Lord, they seek him personally. Did you know David here said, you are my God, my God. Uh, David wasn't just seeking Israel's God, right? He wasn't just seeking his father's God or his family's God or his people's God. No, he said, you are my God. In fact, if you've read the Psalms, you know David does this a lot. He, he talks about God. He refers to God, the God of his salvation. Let me give you several scripture references. Psalm chapter 22 and verse 10, thou art my God from my mother's belly. Psalm 25 and verse 5, thou art the God of my salvation. Uh, Psalm 31 and verse 14, but I trusted in thee, O Lord. I said, thou art my God. Uh, Psalm 40 and verse 17, thou art my help and my deliverer. Psalm 43 and verse 2, for thou art the God of my strength. Psalm 44 and verse 4, thou art my king. And we could go on and on throughout the Psalms. God's your mind, your mind, not just theirs, but your mind. Boy, aren't you thankful that each one of us can have a personal relationship with Jesus tonight? And by the way, the pastor, the evangelist, they don't get this special opportunity to be closer to God than everybody else. It's not how it works. If you want to know the Lord, the Bible says draw nigh to God and He'll draw nigh to you. Aren't you thankful? And I want to ask you tonight, do you know Him personally? Do you know Him personally? 
If I were to ask the question tonight, how many of you know uh, uh, President Trump? Everybody raise their hand. Boy, I've, I've seen what he tweeted. Boy, I, I've seen what, well, I've seen him in the news. I've seen his picture somewhere. And I, I would say respectfully, no, you don't. You know of him tonight, don't you? But you don't know him personally. I don't know, maybe Brother Andy y'all on a first name basis. I don't know, but you, you don't know him personally, right? There's a difference, isn't there? And I'm afraid, church, so often we can come to church and we can know about God, can't we? Teens, you can know the facts. I mean, it's mom and dad. You, you grew up that way. But it's one thing to know about him. It's another thing to know him personally, isn't it? To have that personal relationship. And what David has said as church, this is my God. I'm seeking my God. He's mine. Notice, not only do they seek him personally. Secondly, those that seek the Lord, that hunger and thirst after him, they seek him passionately. Notice that again, verse 1. Oh God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee. And some of you are thinking, oh boy, I'm in trouble because I'm not a morning person, right? Well, the word early here, it does have to do with time in some sense, but not just time. It also means diligently or eagerly. In fact, notice in this verse that both his soul and his flesh are involved in seeking the Lord. Isn't that something to think about? You know, when we think about our flesh, we think about the sinful part of us, right? The part of us that is constantly fighting against the desire to do right and to live for the Lord. Spurgeon said this, he said, Our corporal nature usually tugs in the other direction, but the spirit with ardent can compel it to throw in what power it has upon the other side. When the wilderness calls David weariness, discomfort, and thirst, his flesh cried out in unison with the desire of his soul. Remember what Andy mentioned a moment ago, David's in the wilderness. We, we spoke of the storms this morning. You know, there comes times in your life you don't have anywhere else to turn, right? And here's David. He's running for his life from his king. And at times, even his mighty men uh, 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 doubt him and they question him. And, and, and why are we living with the Philistines and, and all of these things? And our, our city's been burned. And David doesn't have anywhere to turn. But he says, you know what, I'm going to seek the Lord and I'll seek him early. I'll seek him diligently. I'll put some effort into it. Psalm 119 and verse 2. Blessed are they that keep his testimonies and that seek him with the whole heart. Jeremiah 29, 13. And you shall seek me and find me when you shall search for me with all your heart. Psalm 27, 4. One thing have I desired of the Lord. That will I seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his holy temple. You know, it's amazing the things we can be passionate about, isn't it? I was sharing with the teens this morning. I'm a passionate person, you know. I root for my fo football team passionately. If we're playing a game, we're going to do it to win, you know. And, and I was watching my high school. They were in the state championship game yesterday. And here I am on Facebook, you know, watching them. And I'm pounding on the table like they can hear me, you know. And, but I'm passionate. You know, church, isn't it a, a, a shame? That we can be passionate about a job or a financial situation or some hobby in our life and yet give God the leftovers. God gets the afterthought. Boy, it ought not to be so. Amen? It ought to be so that God gets the best. I think that's why the psalmist said, I'm going to get up and I'm going to seek you early. God, you get the best moments of my day. God, you get the first moments of my day. Because before everything else in life, before anything matters, God, what matters most is knowing you. So David said, I seek God passionately. Notice the third thought. I think not only they seek him personally and passionately, but I think David just wanted to seek God practically. Do you notice verse 2, what he said? To see thy power in thy glory, so as I have seen thee in the sanctuary. David said, you know, God, I just want to see it work in my life. God, I just want to see you evident, like I've seen you in the sanctuary, like I've seen you in days of old. God, I want to know your glory. I want to know your power in a practical way. 
in my life. Church, let me ask you, when was the last time you saw a clear demonstration of God's power in your life? Not in the church's life. Not in sister so-and-so's life that that prayer was answered. And by the way, we praise the Lord for that, don't we? But in your life, when's the last time you can point back and say, boy, that was God at work. That was God getting glory. That was God revealing His power. That was a demonstration of the Lord at work in my life. You know, I want to say this. God shows up in our lives when we take time for Him in our lives. You make time for the Lord, He'll meet you there. How do we seek Him practically? What really is simple, we've got to get in His Word, don't we? As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the Word that you may grow thereby. Read it, meditate on it, memorize it, study it, listen to it preached. You know, I want to say this. We have more tools than anybody who's ever lived on this planet to study the Word of God, don't we? It takes me seconds to do what it took my granddad minutes, to take a book and turn to it and find. I can do it in literally seconds. I can do it. But there's no excuse for us. According to a research done by Pew Research, 35% of adults read Scripture at least once a week. 10% read it once or twice a month. 8% read it several times a year. But notice this, church. According to this research, 45% seldom or never read their Bible. Just a few years ago, a survey was done in 2022, and it came out that they, they, they discovered this, I don't know who all they were serving, it was the American Bible Society, and it showed that roughly 26 million Americans had mostly or completely stopped reading their Bible. And amazing. Boy, the stats tell us that the average internet user now spends something like two and a half days, uh, two and a half hours on social media per day. Two and a half hours! Boy, it'll trap you, won't it? You go on to post something, and all of a sudden you're scrolling, and then you're scrolling some more and some more. Boy, two and a half hours a day, church, I want to ask you, if we can spend two and a half hours on Facebook or any of those other things, why is it we don't have ten minutes for the Word of God? Why is it we don't have time to sit and pray and do business with the Lord? I, I, I love the, the life of George Mueller. I just listened to a biography on him. He was the, uh, the, the man who started the orphanages for the, the kids in Bristol, England. And he was a pastor for decades, many years. And in his ministry, he cared for something like 10,000 orphans. Can you imagine that? And without ever asking for support or going on deputation, God used him in an amazing way. And one of the things is I was listening to this biography, and I, I've known some of these things. David Mueller, excuse me, George Mueller was a great man of, of prayer. They say that his prayer journal had something like 3,000 pages and 30,000 specific answers to prayer. Well, that's amazing, isn't it? But then I learned this. They said that George Mueller in his lifetime read the Bible through at least 300 times. I want to tell you, George Mueller died before he was 100. I'm assuming he didn't start reading when he was three years old, you know. That's three and four and five times a year, church, he was reading his Bible through. Think about it. This man had a hunger and he had a thirst to know God. And by the way, God used him, didn't he? So notice, those that hunger and seek, uh, th- those that hunger and thirst after the Lord, they seek him. They seek him personally, passionately, and practically. Notice a second thought, those that hunger and thirst after God. Secondly, they praise the Lord. They praise the Lord. And by the way, I want to say this. When you seek the Lord continually and you're finding Him, you cannot help but praise the Lord. Amen? You cannot help but want to speak His name and and praise Him for all that He is. But notice verse number 3 where David says this. Because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. 
Thus will I bless thee while I live. I will lift up my hands in thy name. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips when I remember thee upon my bed and meditate on thee in the night watches. Oh, David wanted to praise the Lord. By the way, he was the sweet psalmist of Israel. These were praises, weren't they? This psalm is a praise to the Lord. They would sing it. They would put harmonies and melodies to it and sing to the Lord. Notice how they praise him. First, they praise because of his love. Notice that verse 3, because of thy loving kindness. Church, can I remind you tonight, listen, if you don't have another reason to praise the Lord, you ought to praise Him because He loves you. I mean, I don't know what's going on in your life. I think in some ways we're all broken, aren't we? In some ways we all have problems. We all have issues that we're working through, but my goodness, not a one of us can say we're not loved by the Lord tonight. And that's enough. That's enough to praise the Lord for. Love is the ultimate motivator, isn't it? People will obey out of fear or guilt, but there's no motivator that produces better results than love does. And if you can't think of any other reason, do it because He loves you. He declared His love to us. 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, God is love. And then He demonstrated His love to us, right? It's one thing to say it. It's another thing to show it. Here in His love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. And by the way, His love doesn't change, does it? Aren't you thankful for that? Regardless if it's been a good week, bad week, in between week, I still have the love of God tonight, and I can praise Him for that. Boy, I love the hymn. There's a, quite a debate, quite a mystery about how it was written. One person has testified that many, many, many hundreds of years ago, the one verse of this hymn uh, was written on the, on the wall in a jail of an insane person. Some people say it was a Jewish hymn. I, I don't know how we got it, but I know it's a good one, and it simply states this, the love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. But wouldn't you testify to that tonight? There's not a hymn that can describe it. There's not a preacher who can put words to it tonight. It's just greater than we are tonight. It goes beyond the highest star. It reaches to the lowest hell. The guilty pair bowed down with care. God gave His Son to win. His erring child He reconciled and pardoned from His sin. I love this verse. Could we with ink the ocean fill? Think about it. You folks know about the ocean, don't you? <laughs> Could we fill it with ink? And were the skies of parchment made? Were every stalk on earth a quill? And every man ascribed by trade to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll contain the hold, though stretched from sky to sky. O love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong, it shall forevermore endure the saints and angels' song. Church, here's David, and he's in the desert, and he's running for his life, and he's in a storm, and there's no way to go. And he says, but God, let me tell you, I've got to open my mouth and praise you, because my goodness, I have your loving kindness even here. So much could be said about that word, loving kindness. Just take it apart. He's both loving and kind, isn't he? God been kind to you this week, church? God been good to you this week? Boy, he's sure been good to us this week. He's so good to me. Can you even begin to count all the ways the Lord's blessed us? So David says, you know what? I'm going to praise the Lord because of his love. Notice, secondly, he said, I'm going to praise the Lord with my lips. My lips. Notice verse 3. My lips shall praise thee. Uh, notice it again, verse 5. My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips. But you know, church, I want to say this. We ought not to be ashamed to open our mouth and praise the Lord. Say something good about the Lord if He's done it for you. Open your mouth in the workplace. Open your mouth on social media. <laughs> 
Boy, what a place, what an opportunity to praise the Lord. Sing the praises to the Lord. Praise is an expression of appreciation and gratitude and happiness and affection. It's interesting, when you study the Bible, there are 13 different words for the word praise in the Bible. And tonight, we're not going to look at all 13 of them because you'll be late to Taco Bell or wherever you're going tonight, okay? But we won't look at all 13 of them, but I want to give you a few of them. Judges chapter number 5, we find the word barak, which means to kneel, to bless God as an act of adoration or thanks. You know, it's interesting, often when we sing, we stand. There's nothing wrong with that. We stand, we think we sing better when we stand sometimes, don't we? But there's an act of, in our hearts, kneeling before the Lord, humbling ourselves, saying, God, you're lifted up, and I am brought low. Psalm chapter 21 and verse 13, uh, we find the word zalmar, which means to celebrate in song and in music. And boy, certainly praise involves music, doesn't it? And singing the hymns of the faith to the Lord. In Psalm chapter 28 and verse 7, we find the word yaldal, and it means to use, that is to hold out the hand, to revere or worship with extended hands. It's interesting, a couple of these words, actually they don't have to do with our mouth, they have to do with our hands. Isn't that something? I want to say, church, sometimes we can be a little embarrassed. We can think, boy, I don't, I don't want to lift a hand. The Lord's speaking to me. I don't want to lift that hand because somebody might see me, right? And I want to say somebody might see you. And there's nothing wrong. We don't, certainly don't ever do that out of, out of any kind of show or to get attention. But my goodness, what the, what the Bible says is sometimes praise involves open hands. It involves showing the Lord, boy, these hands are you. This life is yours, Lord. That's the definition of praise. In a Psalm chapter 50, we find the word todal, which is an extension of the hand. In Psalm chapter 63, right where we are, verse number 3, here's the word praise here, and it's the word shawbach. It means to address in a loud tone. I like that. In other words, don't be embarrassed. Don't be shout. Boy, the crier this morning, they were loud, weren't they? In fact, I was watching little Evelyn. She was back there with me during choir practice, and she was watching the cymbals, and whenever the cymbals would come, she'd cover those ears, right? And she was kind of scared of it. Boy, I liked it, because it was just lift a joyful noise to the Lord, right? Don't be ashamed. Don't be embarrassed. By the way, church, if anybody has anything to say something loud about or praise the Lord about, boy, we do, don't we? In a respectful way, in a Christ-honoring way. Church, I just want to say it's high time that the people of God not be embarrassed to worship and praise the Lord. Don't be scared to do it. Don't be scared to speak the name of Jesus. Don't be scared to stop a stranger along the way and say, hey, listen, can I just tell you what God's done for me? God's been so good to me this week. Is there any way that I could pray for you? It ought to be common for us to open our mouths and praise the Lord. And by the way, if it's not, then maybe it is that we're not hungering and thirsting after the Lord. Maybe it is we're not seeking Him the way that David was seeking Him. So notice, when it comes to praising the Lord, we praise with our lips. We praise because of His love. Thirdly, they praise all of their lives. People that seek the Lord. Do you notice that again? Verse number four. Thus will I bless thee while I live. And the idea is not, well, I'm alive. Okay, so I'll praise the Lord. No, as long as there's breath in my lungs, I'm going to lift up the Lord. I want to praise Him. I want to live for Him. Not just on Sunday or on Wednesday. It's a continual praise for all of our days. Psalm 104 and verse 33, I will sing unto the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praise to my God while I have my being. Psalm 146 and verse 2, while I live, while I praise the Lord, I will sing praises unto my God while I have my being. Spurgeon said this, if none others bless God, yet his people will. His very nature as being infinitely God is a sufficient argument for our praising him as long as we exist. 
And I want to say this, church, in reference to what we talked about this morning, I think some of the most worshipful, true praising we do is right in the middle of those hard times. Right in the middle of those storms where it doesn't even make sense and we don't even feel like just lift up your voice and praise the Lord. Boy, I don't know what to say. The Lord hears those, those praises too, doesn't he? There was a lady and she loved to praise the Lord. She loved to open her mouth. She had to have lived in the South. After I read this illustration, I figured she did. And she'd step out on her porch every morning. She'd greet the morning this way. Boy, God is good. She'd say, praise the Lord, God provides. Praise the Lord, God provides. Well, she had an atheist friend who moved in next door. I don't know if he's a friend, but he moved in next door. And he didn't take too kindly to this. So he thought, I'll shut her down. I've got a way. One day he went out and he brought some groceries. The lady was a widow lady. She didn't have much. And he bought some groceries and he put them on her porch. And then he hid behind the bushes waiting for her to come out that morning. Well, she came out that morning, and she saw the food, and I mean, just was overjoyed. Praise the Lord, God provides. About that time, the atheist jumped from behind the bush, and he said, I gotcha. He said, you thought your God provided that food for you? He said, I'm the one that bought that food. God didn't have nothing to do with it. She thought for just a minute. All of a sudden, she got more excited than ever. She was louder than ever. She said, praise the Lord. God provides, and he even uses the devil to do it. How about that? <laughs> Boy, I thought that was good. The point is tonight, church, listen. There's always a reason to praise the Lord, isn't there? And when you're hungering and you're thirsting after God and you want to know him, you just can't help but praise him. Notice a third and final thought. Those that hunger and thirst after God, they seek the Lord, they praise the Lord. Notice thirdly, they stay close to the Lord. See this with me, verse number 6. When I remember thee upon my bed and meditate on thee in the night watches, because thou hast been my help, therefore in the shadow of thy wings will I rejoice. My soul followeth hard after thee, thy right hand upholdeth me. You know what David is speaking of? A closeness to God, isn't he? A nearness to God. Let me give you... A few thoughts here. First of all, they think of him constantly. Do you see that verse 6? You know how you stay close to God? Keep him on your mind. David says sometimes in the night watches, that is, I wake up at night, and I just think about the Lord. And I talk to the Lord, and I praise the Lord. I don't know what keeps you up at night. For us, it's our children, okay? They keep us up at night. And, uh, it, it is a small miracle if we ever make it through a night where somebody's not in the room, you know? And, and it keeps us up at night. And I don't know about you. I'll wake up at night, and I'll be thinking about the truck. I'll be thinking about the next day and what's going on. But David says, you know, I wake up, and I just think about the Lord. In fact, sometimes I just stay awake at night thinking about the Lord. First Chronicles 16 11, seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his face continually. Psalm 55 and verse 17, evening and morning and at noon will I pray and cry aloud and he shall hear my voice. Church, I want to say this, the mind that stays on God will stay close to God all day. Have them in your thoughts, have them in your music, have them, have them in your meditation all throughout the day. What's on your mind? You know, I know we're busy people and we get the news and we get work and we get problems and we have to take care of things, but don't forget the Lord. Stay close to him that way. Think of him constantly. Secondly, they rejoice in him comfortably. Did you see that? Notice verse 7. I love this. Because thou hast been my help, therefore in the shadow of thy wings will I rejoice. The idea here is, you know what a shadow is, right? And, and the idea is David is so close to God, he's abiding under that shadow, and he's so near to God, and he has such a relationship with God that he's comfortable enough that in the nearness of his presence he can rejoice, he can be happy, he can praise the Lord. The word rejoice means to call loudly, to give a ringing cry. Boy, there's a safety that comes in being close to the Lord, isn't there? There's a safety in that. 
from that safety comes a comfortableness with rejoicing in him. I remember when I first met Bethany, you know, when you first met that significant other, you're scared to mess up. You check your, your clothes 10 times, you know, and you make sure you don't say the wrong thing and, and, and you don't bring that up or you don't, you know, all these things. But as you get to know one another more and more and more, boy, all the, the boogeyman's come out of the closet, don't they? And you, you become more comfortable, but you become more yourself. What David is says, you know what, I'm so close to the Lord, I don't put on a show. The Lord knows me. He knows who I am. He knows my faults and my failures. And when I get close to him, I just rejoice in his presence. Boy, what a relationship with the Lord. Don't you want that tonight, church? Don't you crave that tonight? That closeness to God that you just think, boy, I'm just abiding. His right hand is right there by me. Notice, not only do they think of him constantly, they rejoice in him comfortably. Thirdly, they follow him closely. Verse number eight again, my soul followeth hard after thee. Thy right hand upholdeth me. The phrase, followeth hard after thee, is the idea of being glued together. Glued together. I was just putting a patch on something, a piece of vinyl. And as I was doing it, I was taking the glue and I was being very careful. <laughs> because I knew if I get this glue on my hand, I'm going to be stuck to something for a while, right? And I was asking someone, have you ever gotten this on you? And they said, sure. The idea of following hard after God is we're stuck together. I don't go anywhere without Him. He's always with me. I don't step out of his will. We mentioned it earlier, draw nigh to God and he'll draw nigh to you. The closer that you get to God, isn't it amazing? The closer that you want to be. <laughs> the more you want to know him, the more you want to hunger and thirst after him. I'll close with just a couple illustrations here. As reading, it's interesting. They say in the Arabian desert, they train horses. And of course, there's very little water. And so one of the ways that these horse trainers, they train these horses is they'll actually, they teach them commands. They teach them stop and go and come and all those commands. And they'll put them up in a barn or a stall for days without water. Days on end. And they do this, they, they understand their life is at stake. If this horse were to ever run off on them for water, that they, they would lose their lives. They'd be stuck in the desert. And so they put these horses up. And then they, they open the, the gates, they open the stalls, and they release the horses, and the horses will take off after the water. And right before they get, get to the water, they give them the command to stop. And those horses have to stop, and they have to stand there, and then they'll call those horses back to them. Slowly those horses will come trotting back, and they will stand there. They say sometimes they'll stand there quivering. They're so dehydrated, and they have to wait until their master gives them the command to go and drink and fi fi uh, fill their thirst. You know, I was thinking about that, and I was thinking, you know, aren't you thankful our God is not that way? You know what? Our God wants us to fill that thirst, doesn't he? He wants us to fill that hunger, that desire to know him. He longs for that. Louis Zamperini, the man who was on the raft for 47 days after he got out of a prisoner of war camp in Japan, I believe it was some two years he spent there, he was abused physically, psychologically. When he came back to the States, his life was a mess, and so he developed a new thirst for alcohol. He became a drunkard. He almost lost his family. It was really an ugly story. One night, he stumbled into a Billy Graham crusade, and he heard the gospel. God saved his soul. He turned to the Lord. He gave up alcohol. Once again, he developed a new hunger and thirst in his life, and this hunger and thirst was to know the Lord. You ought to go read his testimony. They made a movie. There's a book about him. It's really an amazing story. He uh, started a boy's home to help young men. But one of the things, this hunger and thirst in Louis Zamperini's life, he so wanted to know God that on one occasion he was able to go back to Japan, this place that had been the place of torture in his life, the place of so many bad memories. 
He was there to carry the Olympic torch in Japan. And as he went there, he tracked down the men that had beaten and abused him. And as he sat down with them, some of them he had to literally go into prisons because they were there for the crimes that they had committed. As he sat down with them, he began to share with them the love of God and told them that he had forgiven them. Church, I want to tell you what did that in Louis Zamperini's life was a hunger and thirst for God. Can I ask you, church, tonight, what are you hungering and thirsting for? I don't know about you. I've been studying. I've been praying, Lord, what would you have me to preach? And over and over again, God has brought this thought to my mind. Ethan, how's your hunger and thirst? Isn't it easy to go through the motions, church? I listened to the message last Sunday night. I think Brother Paulie was on a similar vein, wasn't he? Knowing the Lord, having a hunger and thirst for Him. Oh, church tonight, can I tell you, above everything else in our life, may we get desperate to know our God. And by the way, as we mentioned a moment ago, when you thirst for the Lord, that thirst can be quenched. When you hunger for the Lord, that hunger can be filled. If we want to hunger and thirst for the Lord, we must seek Him, we must praise Him, and we must stay close to Him. Let's pray. Father, we love You tonight. Oh, God, give us a hunger. Give us a thirst to know You, Lord. God, it's a good church. These are good people, good families, Lord. And yet, in the midst of a good place, it is so easy to fall into the rut, into monotony, Lord, to go through the motions, and yet lose a hunger and thirst for the Lord. Lord, maybe someone's here on a Sunday night, and they have no desire for God because they don't even know you. They know about you, but they don't know you personally, as we mentioned a moment ago. May tonight be the night that they come and Allow someone to take a Bible, show them how to be saved. Maybe they know how to be saved tonight. May they call on you. And for all of us, Lord, us tonight, help us to hunger and thirst after you. God, may we seek you. Each one of us, Lord, personally, practically, getting in your word, praying, seeking your face, passionately. God, may we do it with great eagerness and great diligentness. Lord, may we... May we, may we go hard after you, as David said. Help us to seek you. Help us to praise you, Lord. Maybe it's been a while since we've opened our lips and spoken how, how good you are to us. And Lord, help us to stay close to you. Lord, it's easy to be the prodigal inside the Father's house. And we're in the house. The Father's still there, and yet spiritually be distant from you. Father, help us to stay close. So close, as David said, Lord, we're under the shadow of your wing. Father, we love you tonight. Give us that hunger and thirst. Maybe somebody in the next few moments just needs to get alone with God and just say, oh God, give me that hunger. God, give me that thirst again. Lord, renew it in my spirit. Father, we love you. Would you minister to our hearts tonight and challenge us from your word? In just a moment, we'll take time of invitation. If God's speaking to you, church, can I ask you tonight, find a place to meet with him. If it's right where you're sitting, then so be it. But if it's at an altar, if you don't know the Lord is your Savior, would you come? We'll, we'll show you how to be saved tonight. Mom and dad, teens, grandma, grandpa, everybody tonight, how's your hunger? How's your thirst? If the Lord's dealing with you, let's do business with him tonight. Let's stand together as a congregation. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. We'll sing a song of invitation tonight. If God's speaking to your heart, would you come find a place to kneel before the Lord tonight?